Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. This is your host, Christina Orlova. Here we will talk about all things OCD. For more information and to contact me with questions, you can go to www.coreresults.com. That's K-O-R results.com. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Show. Today, I have a guest with me named Sean Flores, and he's a creative who knows no boundaries and an influencer aiming to have the right influence on the world, and he has OCD. He focuses on mental health and well-being and is aiming to qualify as a life coach. He has delivered two TED Talks, uh, one in 2018 and one in 2022. In 2018, he gave a TED Talk about education system, how we can do more to ensure no one is left behind. And the second TED Talk was on the straitjacket of masculinity and male mental health. A third TED Talk is on the works to help raise awareness about OCD and OCD research. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you so much, Christina, for having me here. I'm in gratitude for coming this far on my recovery journey, but most importantly, being able to speak so openly about OCD. So I've seen a lot of your work and I know it's a good, great place to come and have conversations that are needed within the community. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, today is a great topic because something we talked about back and forth and for today was to discuss about raising awareness specifically for OCD in the Black community. Um, so I guess my first question for you is, you know, why don't you share a little bit with us about your experience? Yeah, so I would say my OCD journey started with health anxiety. So I remember I was always worried every time I used to go to the toilet that I had an STI or I had HIV. I used to get constantly tested over and over and over again. And at the worst, I am, I paid £300 for a same-day test just to prove I didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. And after a while, I just dealt with that. That one, I just learned to let it go. I didn't really worry too much about it. But after that, <laughs> my new worry was... I'll never forget, I had a dream of a white guy in boxers and I could see the back of him. And this was a dream. But I remember I woke up and I looked at my ceiling and I, was, I believed 100% I was gay. Nobody could tell me anything different. I remember I threw up with anxiety and I just kept looking for evidence constantly. Over the next couple of years, I was always looking for something to prove that I was gay. And when something didn't come, it wasn't enough. I had to find something else to kind of prove. I would go to the sauna and the steam room and the gym and I would just constantly be ruminating over and over and over again. I started seeing a therapist, but I did CBT and they suspected I had OCD, but their CBT didn't help because it wasn't CBT ERP, which I now know is the gold standard of OCD. But what happened as a result was I started to live with those um, fears of being gay, I suppose, or just this whole new identity that I didn't understand. But then one of the times that really spoke out to me was when I was with one of my female friends, a thought, the thought of rape just popped into my head. And when it popped into my head, I remember I panicked and I became so scared that I was going to do something that it, the fear, I can't even, I think people who have OCD and live with OCD, it's we know what that fear is like it grabs every part of your body and you're like no 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 hold up so I was convinced I was hearing voices I was so worried I screamed at her to leave um and then I I sought out new therapy so I sought out psychodynamic therapy which made it even worse you know it starts a whole new rabbit hole of thinking because I was like why am I having these thoughts what's going on with me please I need answers every session I came back I felt worse I never felt any better nothing ever helped so what I did after as a result was when I was out with one of my friends on the bus, a thought popped into my head and it was fight him. 
Um, and in this time, I was having the intrusive thoughts about kiss my friends. I was having all of them. I just couldn't stop. But when this fight him thought came in, I had a breakdown. I was like, no, there's something wrong. But I just couldn't explain what it was. I knew something was up. But I felt like I was going crazy. I generally felt like I was going mad. So I carried on for the day. But when I was out at one of the restaurants when I was eating food, a thought of suicide popped into my head. And it was literally an image in my mind of me jumping off of a bridge with my arms just almost falling into the bridge. And I was like, no, no, there's something wrong. It's like, no, 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 just hold up, hold up. So I jumped in the Uber home, cried, told all my friends I was depressed. And that was it. I was ready to, I was ready to go. I was ready to, to, to pretty much end my life. Um, and over the next couple of days, I was so badly suicidal. I was so worried that I was never going to get better. Then it was on Saturday, the 4th of June, I woke up and I said, I just can't do this anymore. So I went via the algorithm and I found somebody called the Anxiety Whisperer, Emma Garrick. And I was so shocked to find her because I was like, whoa, what's going on? So I begged her for a phone call. And when I had the phone call, I said, please, can you explain to me what's going on? Because I was crying. I was just so upset. I couldn't understand what was going on. And I'm... Um, I said, why am I having all these thoughts? Does this mean I'm going to do it? She said she knew from the day and then it was OCD because she has also has lived experience of OCD. She's trained in it and so on. And on that Monday, so it was Saturday that we spoke and on Monday we started therapy and it was tough. It's been an incredibly tough journey because there were times I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go outside. I was still having the thoughts. I, it's been a roller coaster of a journey, but I'm still alive and I'm thankful for what I've gone through because if it, if I didn't have, if I didn't experience what I'd gone through, I'm not sure that I'd be the person I am now. Oh my gosh, absolutely. So thank you for sharing all that. And I'm pretty confident that the audience listening um, can relate on pretty much every level. <clears throat> Myself as a clinician with lived experience, it's exactly how it feels. It feels like for a minute, like think you're losing your mind. Something, something's off and you can't put your finger on it. So um, yeah, there's probably a lot of relief when you finally at least can name what is it that's happening to me and understand a little bit more. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I know that, you know, one of the things, especially considering talking about specifically in the black community, you know, just to bring, bring it to that, I want to ask, you know, what have you noticed are kind of, what do you think are, could be some ways in terms of increasing awareness or what are the things that are, you think are roadblocks to awareness um, in terms of specifically in the black community? So interestingly enough, in the UK, if you type in black British OCD, my name is the only name that pretty much comes up, which mm -hmm. is quite worrying because to a lot of people that brings a lot of pride and honor, but I'm like, I don't want to be the only person speaking about OCD. The only other guy that speaks about OCD is Duke Al Durham. Um, but he does poetry more as his full-time um, work. And what I realized was there's just no one in the community speaking about it the way that I speak about it. So what I decided to do was when I was through the, went through the throes of a depressive episode, I literally just woke up and I said, I'm going to change the world. I opened up my Google documents and I just started writing my story. And what I realized was there's actually a lot more ethnic minority communities and black people out there of OCD. I've actually been able to start a WhatsApp group now with 13 black people. And I know that doesn't even sound like a lot, but that's revolutionary from the community that I'm from. But one thing I've really noticed, it's the embarrassment, it's the added shame that comes with having OCD and certain thoughts. And currently I'm working on an article for a national newspaper in the UK, and it's all about why black people need to speak up about religious OCD. So for example, using religious OCD as a, a theme or a subset, if you're from a religious community, you're more likely to have religious OCD. And we know black people, for example, um, 
you know, are quite religious. 48% of Londoners um, are actually religious. And I think 48% of Londoners go to a black church. So these, for example, the church is a stronghold in the black community because it offered a place that was a cultural pillar and a barrier against racism and discrimination. But within that, I think a lot of behaviors that we considered normal could be reclassified as OCD behaviors. This is one of my theories, for example. So I think sometimes a lot of behaviors we think are normal are hidden, which means we can't challenge it. And it's only from going out into the Western world and having combative views, we realize, oh, this behavior is just not quite normal. Or that anxiety that we thought was normal isn't just quite normal. There's actually so much more. So this is something I'm learning to realize. But also within the black community, it's well, there's a lot of distrust with medical institutions and services due to, you know, the, you had the Tuskegee syphilis experiments in America. You've got the modern day John Sims, the founder of modern day gynecology, who experimented on black women. You've got Henrietta Lacks. There's a lot of different examples mm -hmm. as to why there's so much mistrust. And we know that fear spreads faster than love. So if fear is one thing that's driving the community, it's going to keep going. It's going to keep going. And I think it takes individuals like myself and other activists to speak out and let them know, you're, first of all, you're not alone. Second of all, your fears are valid. But number three, also that you need to be the change that you want to see. Because I could sit and complain all day long about we don't have enough black activists. But what I'm trying to do now is be that change that I want to see. And to put my life on the line by telling my story, people are going to have a judgment. Let them judge me in whatever way that they want. But... I want to leave the blueprint for someone else to come up after me and be like, I'm going to go and change the world. I might follow Sean's work or not, but I'm going to do something differently. So I think whilst there's a lot that the black community does struggle with in terms of speaking about mental health, I think our generation and the generation below Gen Z are going to be the ones to really change it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you're hitting on a lot of excellent points, right? And, and I think that's exactly right for anybody in any community. It, it, it's, it just takes one person to have the courage to start, right? And kind of open up that dialogue and start to pave that way. Um, I think it's awesome that you've started that WhatsApp group. Um, obviously, it's so much more is needed. And sometimes it's wild. It's like it's going to be 2023 and we're still doing this. Um, yeah, okay. Well, part of what you were saying too, you know, brings up the next question for me, which is, um, and this may be kind of a big, broad, I mean, question, but what do you, what's your sense of just from your own experience and also from what you're seeing with fellow, you know, colleagues or or folks that you're talking to, um, what could be a way to kind of start to close those gaps or to start to make things more accessible or make it a little bit easier, make it a little bit more, um, you know, something that people feel more comfortable reaching out to or talking about? So, for example, I was reading a research paper that I was sent by Dr. Sophie Shuri, um, who's also an OCD advocate. And in the paper, it was talking about how, for example, OCD is prevalent across most ethnic minorities, and it's pretty much the same all across the board, but there's a difference. And for example, it was saying black people quite often are misdiagnosed with OCD. They can be often re referred to as psychotic instead. So I think we need to look at the barriers of how we view different ethnicities and different races when it comes to mental health, right? Because we know, for example, certain ethnicities are seen as more of a threat or more of a worry. So this is something that I think we need to change. But also I think the major institutions and the major places within the communities need to be as a starting point where conversations happen. So for example, we need to have culturally relevant training. We need to have training that we can take to the religious leaders to let the religious leaders know that 
there's going to be times when secular treatment will triumph over religious dogma. So for example, even on my journey, even up until yesterday, someone said that they believed that a demon had attacked me in my dream because of the thoughts that I was having. Now to a lot of people with OCD, that sounds like nonsense, but to someone else who's religious, that sounds like it could be true. But right. secular treatment needs to keep triumphing over religious dogma. And at the moment, we're currently in a place where religion and science quite often are at war. But if we can get it to a place where they work harmoniously, that would be also fantastic for change. But relevant training is going to be important. Having the right sensitivities around certain communities and understanding and awareness are going to be able to infiltrate different spaces that ordinarily have been hidden so obviously we know the african-american population they're classed as the hidden ocd population and we know that in the uk for example black people and other ethnic minorities are underrepresented in ocd clinical trials these are the things that need to change because we don't have enough numbers on how many people have OCD within different other communities because people won't engage with the research and so much more. So I think outreach programs are also going to be really important. But I think representation, as we said, if they see someone out there who's black has OCD, like, rah, there's someone else that has it. And when people have reached out to me, I've had, as I said, hundreds of messages on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, emails, I've had it all. People reach out to me and they go, wow, I'm not alone. I'm like, yeah, there's actually so much more of us out there than I thought. And that has made a profound difference to the conversations that we're having because now when I speak to people, I can be like, oh, there's 13 more of us that I've got in a group. Come and join us. Or, you know, we're going out with some friends. You want to come and join us? So to let people know that they're not alone, because I think you and I would both agree from lived experience of OCD that quite often it can feel like, you can feel incredibly alone. You feel like you're the only person in the world that has it, but it's so much more common. So I think when we pull down these barriers, this discrimination and racism, we're going to have an easier conversation. But I think also it takes those within the communities that have the most clout and popularity to pass the mic in some essences to other people who need that platform. And for example, you're passing the mic, you're giving me an opportunity right now to speak about OCD, which I'm grateful for because you don't have to. And by having this conversation, you might have a, or, you know, a listener who's from those communities that are disadvantaged. We're like, oh, someone else has it like me so these conversations are what's happening but i would say slow and steady wins the right um, the race yeah absolutely i mean i think you're hitting on two things right one is in general as humans we need to know there's somebody else we can relate to right and it's got to be somebody like us or as close to us as possible so we can really feel like okay it really isn't just me and and there is somebody like me um and the second thing like you said it it gets to a more kind of a bigger conversation of institutions, of funding, of research, and so on. Um, and now I do have a question for you since you're in the K, I'm in California. Like in the UK, what is it like? Because I, you know, I, I know folks listening, I've, I've certainly had people reach out and asking me, okay, if I'm international or if I live somewhere else, you know, where or how can I find a provider? So in the UK, I definitely know of at least a couple of providers, but can you, what is it like finding a provider there? What is it like to access a provider there, whether it's individual treatment specific, like you said, ERP um, for OCD or group therapy? Is, is it, is there enough providers there at all? Or kind of where are things at with that, if you know? So from what I understand, um, if, if your OCD is quite severe, you can go into an OCD ward, but you have to have up to 200 milligrams of search and more to be able to be admitted there. But there are providers such as 
OCD UK or OCD Action who can signpost you to other places. There's TOP, which is Triumph Over Phobia. There's many different charities over here who are doing work. So I also volunteer with Orchard OCD. OCD. They're the only UK-based charity funding better and faster research for people with OCD. And I'm, I'm actually currently on the NHS trial where they're testing out the psychoactive ingredient in magic mushrooms, psilocybin, as the potential um, treatment for OCD. Because we know in a 2006 study done with Harvard University that psilocybin has had profound effects on lessening OCD symptoms. So from by being in these spaces, you're being exposed to different conversations. But from what I'm aware of in my research and from my work is that um, OCD UK, um, OCD Action, Orchard OCD, those are the ones that I would say off the top of my head you can really go to and they'll signpost you to places that will get help. But also they'll give you the right information. So when I was at the worst of my OCD, I called OCD Action. I said, I need help. And what they informed me was they sent me a long leaflet of what I had to read to make sure. They said it has to be CBT ERP. They said, anytime I go and get therapy, I have to make sure that it is CBT ERP. Um, and that has really reigned home true for me because if I didn't know that at the time, as I said, the psychodynamic therapy made me worse. And we know for OCD, it's got to be a very specific type of therapy. So don't lose hope. There definitely is providers out here. And there's a lot of us out here who do have OCD and we're opening up those conversations. And I think in turn, um, a random fact is in the UK, only 89p is spent on research for per person that has OCD. And that is shocking compared to depression that has about six to eight pounds spent on it per person. So OCD is, is severely underfunded, under-researched, but times are changing. We have more and more activists and advocacy going on, which means we will bring more and more money to OCD research. Absolutely. I think that's awesome to hear that. Um, like I said, internationally, and I think just in general, you know, we're again at a time in our lives where with technology and, and these kind of podcasts, you know, we're able to cross those barriers and really start to learn more about globally, you know, what is available and, and kind of connect and help close those gaps. Um, I, and like you said earlier on, you know, research shows that um, a lot of people have OCD. Um, it's just a matter of part of what you were talking about is culture, right? And kind of the culture you're raised in. And is that something that you even talk about mental health stuff or anything else or what is acceptable or not? And then if we get into religious backgrounds, I mean, all those variables really are important, even though, again, it's going to be 2023, but there's still a lot of kind of places in the world and in life where some, a lot of these things still are not discussed or looked down upon or shamed or embarrassment and so on. And so, um, you know, it, it takes, you know, like they say, a village to raise a child, right? It's going to take a whole lot of us to to keep advocating. Um, you know, I want to ask you, what is, um, if you're going to give people, let's say one tidbit, which is sometimes what I ask, you know, what would be one, I know it's hard. It's like one of, I don't know how many, but what could be one tidbit that you would want to leave people with? To remember that your thoughts are not facts. And neither are feelings. Thoughts are not facts and feelings are not always facts. Something, sometimes because you feel a kind of way doesn't make it a reality. And sometimes because you think, have a thought, it does not mean who that is who you are. Your brain is a machine. It, your brain is designed to create stories. And sometimes for us with OCD, it tries to make us believe very elaborate stories. So that's the one piece of a fact I would say, because there's a Bible verse that I grew up with understanding, which was, as a man thinketh, so is he. It's a Proverbs. Um, and it's this idea that if whatever you think in your head, that means what you are. And you couldn't learn, you couldn't 
with OCD, you can't be far further from the truth from that. So that's something I really want people to understand because as I said, cognitive fusion, I married the idea of a thought being with who I am and that's not who I am. So for people out there who are still in that rabbit hole, you're, you're compulsing, you're obsessing, remember your thoughts do not say anything about who you are because I think you probably know this, Christina, in your work as well. Most people come really terrified of the thoughts that they have because in society we grew up with this idea that you must almost have clean thoughts at all times and to have any other kind of thoughts means you're a bad person. So these narratives in society really need to change because if you think about it, I'll use an example. The director of Glee is the same person who wrote the American Horror Stories. They're completely two opposite theories, but doesn't that tell you a little bit of something as to how the human mind can stretch from one side to another? And maybe another thing I would say, well, that's actually two, right? But don't label your thoughts as good or bad. Your thoughts are just thoughts. That's all they are. Beautifully said. Very poignant. Um, well, where can people find you if they'd like to connect with you? Um, yeah, so you can just type in my name, Sean Flores, on the internet. My social media is T-H-E-S-H-A-U-N-F-L-O-R-E-S. So does Sean Flores. I'm pretty much everywhere. My DMs are open. I'm going to be in the show notes as well. So I'm more than happy to have conversations. And as I said, I'm more than happy to open up discourse. And if you want me to speak somewhere, send me a message. Um, my DMs are open. And I say my DMs are open because when I was at the worst of my OCD, I didn't know who I would needed to speak to. So I really try to give people the time and have conversations and learn to understand what's going on for them. And to just remind them that they're not alone in their struggle, that when you move from suffering with OCD into living with OCD, you shall find your life again. So yeah, I'm more than happy to be contacted by everyone. I'm Sean Flores everywhere. You can find me pretty much everywhere. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sean. Thank you. Thank you for listening to OCD Whisperer podcast. If you have any questions you want me to answer in future podcasts or any other comments, you can go to coreresults.com backslash contact backslash that's core results k-o-r-r-e-s-u-l-t-s dot com backslash contact